Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show. Frank's been holding the fort for the last couple of weeks, so thank you to him. But it's great to be back. Great to be back with Diana Bradley as co-host, who's our superstar associate news editor. Diana, how are you doing? Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And we were just talking about getting back to normality. And I feel like you having this intro with the podcast the whole way through has it's been, been an element like, of normality. Let's exactly. not agree to say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Diana's been leading our Pets in PR program, which has been getting loads of traffic because she has uh, quite a menagerie too herself. Many, with the too many pets. And- Yes, yeah, so so that's been going really well. But uh, so great to have Diana on the show, and uh, we've got Eileen Ziesma, who is the VP of PR at Ulta Beauty. So Eileen, welcome to uh, the PR Week podcast. Thank you so much for the warm welcome, Steve and Diana. I'm thrilled to be here. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> ah, well, that's what we like. That's great. Good to hear, and uh, really looking forward to chatting to you about uh, Ulta Beauty and your DE and I work. And two years in the job started at the start of nothing much going on in March 2020, was there? So uh, yeah, interesting, interesting time for you. And uh, we'll dig into that. Well, then we'll get into some of the big stories this week. Horrific scenes in uh, Ukraine, and we'll be talking about brands pulling out of Russia following that uh, egregious invasion. We'll talk about International Women's Day, which is this week, and it's International Women's Month. We'll talk about some brand activations around that and about these months generally. Stagwell Group, the Mark Penn Helm Tony Company, has put out its 2021 financial numbers. And we had an interesting op-ed about normalizing the conversation around the menopause, which was very interesting, and we'll chat about that. And then some PR Week stuff. We put out our big features um, for our print issue, but uh, they go online first, of course, these days. And we're talking about the future of work. So all the big interviews were themed around that. So we'll get into those. And yeah, a big week for PR Week coming up. We've got our food cart donation for Gen Youth uh, t- tomorrow or today as you listen to this. We've got the big PR Week Awards back in person for the first time in three years next week. And we're going to be ringing the closing bell at NASDAQ on Tuesday afternoon. So very exciting. Lots to talk about. Well, let's start with, start with you, Eileen. Tell us about that. What was it like starting a new job? And it was your first time on the client side. You'd had uh, agency stints at MSL, Zeno, and Ogilvy, but first time on the client side up in the Chicago area. And um, March 2020, all of a sudden, you start a new gig and uh, the whole world shuts down. What was it like? Yeah, I mean, well said. And certainly nothing I could have predicted if I had a crystal ball. But I'll tell you what, it was it was the best crash course in learning a business I've ever had. And I think anybody who has worked on the agency side can understand what those crash courses are like when you're in the throes of new business. But, you know, my, my agency experience and fortitude had get, given me quite a a toolkit to to come into a situation and leverage, you know, crisis um, 
capabilities, but also positioning and brand reputation, executive visibility, and to bring all of that forward in a time when it was needed most in a position that hadn't existed at Ulta Beauty before. Of course, they had PR, they just hadn't had a, a VP of PR. And so I think that the opportunity was in front of me, but of course, <laughs> the, the type A PR practitioner inside me was like, okay, now is the time that you have to prove value more than ever before, because there's a whole lot of unknowns and we have to, to dig in quickly. Um, I'll tell you what, though, every minute of my first, let's say, 90 days at Ulta Beauty uh, were not as planned, of course, mm-hmm. but they were they entirely reinforced the why behind this move for me personally as a professional. The values that this company stands for are not words on a wall. They are something that every decision the executive team made, they did through the lens of these values. Um, the, the position and the strength of the company, the differentiated business model came to bear in different ways throughout the phases of COVID um, and just reinforced care for associate, care for guest, guest centricity, um, just a diversity forward, values driven, human first company, both in our in engagement with guests, but also how everyone is cared for as a, as a person um, at the company. And having worked with a bevy of different brands, it was refreshing when I heard it in the interview and even more so as I got into the work. So yeah, it was challenging, no doubt, but I felt challenged every single day and valued every single day. And that continues today. And I feel stronger for the last two years than I could have ever imagined. So did you actually get to meet everybody before we sort of went into lockdown or was or was it sort of uh, a kind mm-hmm. of a crossover? How, how, no, how I, w- I wish that was the case. I, um, I met the people who interviewed me who are lovely and still my partners in the day to day and as well as my bosses. Yeah. Um, but I, I was mailed a laptop and some instructions on how to log on and onboard. <laughs> And and that's where I've been since. So I've met a couple people. I've gone in, you know, especially around earnings um, or some some pivotal moments. We've done a lot in two years. We've launched Conscious Beauty. We've had our DEI commitments formalized. Um, Ulta Beauty at Target. We had a CEO transition. This has all been in the, my first two years yeah. working remotely. So. Definitely want to dig into some of those. It's summer awesome. Life. It's it's yeah. been a really great experience, and I, I'm I feel stronger for it. And it's certainly not a one-man show. I have an amazing team. I have an amazing support system around me at work and also really strong agency partners. So um, for those who don't know, Ulta Beauty is the largest U.S. beauty retailer, 1,300 stores across the U.S. and but HQ in Illinois. What was the beauty and what was the impact on retail and especially beauty? Because there are a number of things happening there. Obviously, you know, everyone was... Uh, I'm, I'm sure the stores were a lot quieter and for some time maybe they were shut. I don't know. You told yeah. me. But, but also people were working from home and I guess they weren't maybe they weren't applying as much makeup or maybe they weren't using the products as much or maybe they were using it in different ways. You, so you tell us how is, how have those trends played out? Such a such a great question. And it, it's got many layers to it. So, again, like if I close my eyes and I go back two years, um, I started March 23rd and all Ulta Beauty stores across the country were closed. Um, As you'd imagine, we were not deemed an essential retailer. Um, And so retail, kind of a tale of of two tales, really, Um, as it relates to COVID impacts. There were essential retailers that stayed open, and you can see in their earnings how how that, you know, 
increased their performance. And then there were others who, if, if you didn't have a strong um, e-commerce and omni-channel ecosystem in place, you were going to suffer. And so um, lucky for Ulta Beauty, we had a really dynamic and robust ecosystem. Um, and in, in addition to e-commerce, we also have some really cool digital tools because beauty, as you say, is a really personal and um, emotional category. So um, for us, it's about getting that right. And our digital capabilities include some uh, virtual try-ons that are incredibly accurate. And so while the stores were closed, we had our beauty um experts who normally work in store, those associates started to help our digital team to swatch different shades of um, blushes and concealers um, to, to fuel more into our digital capabilities in that virtual try-on, because discovery is such an important part. And while the trends, I'd say that those kind of came to bear in chapters. And so in the beginning, yes, everyone was home. There were not social occasions. So pure cosmetics, you know, naturally took a hit. At the same time, we were all going virtually. So people were still on camera. And for the first time it, in recent history that I can remember, you know, even if you have a virtual meeting, you're not really staring at yourself. Fast forward to 2020 and onward, we're in meetings where we're seeing our own reflection all day. And so people still want to look good. Now, in parallel to that cosmetic trend kind of going down, people started really... Um, increasing their skincare routines and starting um, experimenting with different kinds of hair care and different treatments there. So we, we saw a huge uptick in self-care by way of skincare. Um, that category has just been thriving. And people, once they start a routine, they're hard pressed to kind of abandon it. So skincare remains really consistent. And then as masks, as those mask mandates have come and gone, we've seen cosmetics a little bit ebb and flow. And then there's kind of a, been a recent trend of skinification with regard to hair care. So more care for scalp, more care for um, bonding treatments with hair. And I think that's the beauty of Ulta Beauty is that we have products and brands across all of those categories, as well as all price points. So it's not an intimidating approach. It's really a unique, interesting and, and dynamic assortment um, to meet beauty enthusiasts at every stage. So that's how we kind of remained relevant and really focused on moving from a product-centric push in communications to more about guest centricity and what you need and hyper-relevant content with, you know, um, different kinds of classes and tutorials and social and leveraging our experts from the salons to be pro yeah, voices mass, in the media. Mass, massive rise in that stuff, wasn't there? So it was good that you were well positioned for that. Yeah. Anyone who's seen a picture of me knows that skinification of my hair care has been going <laughs> for many years, but uh, that's a whole other story. And um, tell you mentioned the uh, whole dig into diversity, and it sounds like you're doing some great work there. You um, you doubled your investment into DEI in 2022 up to $50 million after achieving all your aims in 2021. I and mean, I think you, you put $25 million in. Tell us what um, what you were doing with that money. Because, you know, a lot of people made big um, statements, didn't they, around especially the racial reckoning in 2020. Um, and, and it's good to see money and real action sort of following on but rather than just uh, noble statements. So tell us a bit about that. I'm so glad you asked because this is um, not only important to us as a community, 
the company, but also personally, I just have grown so much individually um, as just a, a leader and a human, but also I'm just so proud of this work. So diversity, equity, and inclusion are are very much in our DNA and they come to life across our business. It's not just something that comes from corporate um, or just lives in our business strategy. It's embedded in our values. It is embedded in our in-store and even our digital experiences. So we are really prioritizing this work. And as you said, we're doubling our investment to 50 million um, this year after achieving quite a lot with our 25 million last year. And so we're keenly focused on brand amplification and assortment growth, as well as equitable guest and associate experiences. So in the simplest form, that unpacks by way of amplifying underrepresented voices. We're taking a, a large chunk of that um, 50 million and investing it in media with multicultural platforms. 10% of, of that um, allocation is dedicated to black and Latin owned outlets specifically. I think that's important, isn't it? Yeah. Because there, there have been criticisms that, you know, people supporting uh, multicultural media that isn't necessarily Black-owned. So I think that's an important uh, distinction to make. And I appreciate you saying that because we took um, we took a very tempered approach to it to make sure that we did account for that and, and that we were exceeding benchmarks, which we found are typically between 3 and 4%. Um, we wanted to make sure that, you know, that equitable growth and opportunity for for those outlets to grow um, could be fostered by by our efforts. How do you um, make that uh, sort of channel through to your agencies, to your advertising, to your use of uh, diverse directors, even production companies? You know, every year with the Super Bowl, we talk about this, this real lack of female and, uh, and people of color directing, but also in that production side, is that something that you're looking to invest in with this fund as well? Um, you know what? It's not specifically coming out of this 50 million, but it is something that's been actively built upon. So um, we didn't allocate a dollar amount to it, but I can tell you, for example, our Muse platform, which we launched last year to magnify, uplift, support, and empower underrepresented voices, all of the creative for that was cre was um, driven by BIPOC creators and influencers and um, just creative minds like the directors, the casting, um, the the sound, the the beautiful song that is behind that was written by this wonderful artist um, who ha happens to be a black woman. And um, so we take a concerted effort to all of that. And our agencies know that, too. And even as we move to you know, just our general media spend um, outside of that allocation, within our RFPs are some really specific asks about diversity um, across the, those outlets as well, because we want to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk and make sure that that is felt everywhere so that anybody who touches Ulta Beauty, whether it's in an earned placement, an experience, or, or they see an ad, feels like they can be reflected, seen, and, and welcomed at Ulta Beauty. Yeah. Now, uh, another thing I like that you're doing is uh, investing in BIPOC beauty brands and BIPOC entrepreneurs. That was the new voices thing. So tell us yeah. a, a bit about that as well, because uh, that, that sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. So that's part of um, curating a diverse assortment. So in 2021, we were very proud to join the 15 percent pledge. And um, last year, we more than doubled our black owned brands within the Ulta Beauty assortment. And we'll continue helping diverse leaders and founders and entrepreneurs in a couple ways. And 
it, this is in service of them not only arriving to Ulta Beauty, because that's a really big moment for um, beauty brands to, to come into retail. But we don't want them to just say, hey, I'm on the shelves at Ulta Beauty. We want them to arrive and also thrive. So to do that um, this year, we are really excited to debut our own brand partner accelerator program. So that's going to look at early stage BIPOC beauty brands and provide them with time, resources, and mentorship from our um, internal teams across merchandising, marketing, even finance, um, just to help them prep their retail readiness and um, accelerate in. And then we're also um, investing $5 million to the venture capital firm you mentioned, New Voices. And that is really intended to offer founders of colors unprecedented access and capital and our expertise. So that's leaning into a new partner in New Voices, and they are fantastic. And we're really excited to see um, you know, what comes from that relationship. And then I'd, I'd also add in that bucket, um, we've dedicated $3.5 million dollars to in-store merchandising support for Black-owned, Black-founded, and Black-led brands. And that speaks to that thriving. So this, this comes to life in you know, different ways that they can advertise with us, different ways that their end caps can you know, pop more boldly, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So um, it's, great it's stuff. a very well-rounded approach to- And you've got Rihanna on board. Fenty we sure Beauty do, World. yes. That this is week. brand new news. The queen of the world is on board. How so about it? I know. The, the idea of thinking that you can dress in an outfit to be as cool as Rihanna just to meet her is, is probably cool as the most daunting piece in my in my mind. Yeah, yeah. She's incredible. That, she listen, I think it's about all this, Eileen. Um, lots going on. And um, congrats on doing a great job with the team over the past two years. You know, I think... Uh, the industry's really stepped up and communications professionals have. So that's uh, it's great to hear all about it and uh, look forward to seeing how that plays out. And we'll get your uh, input on some of the stories we're going to chat about with Diana. So, Diana, let's talk about Russia and, and its invasion of Ukraine. Hor- horrible scenes we're seeing on the yeah. ground there. And it's caused brands, you know, to have to really have cause for thought, hasn't it? And uh, And think about their operations there. Yeah, um, I think the number is now at something like 300 companies that have pulled out of Russia uh, in response to its invasion of Ukraine. Um, And it obviously, this is affecting every corner of the economy from Russia's vast energy riches through to automobiles, finance, retail, entertainment, fast food. Um, And the latest companies to halt operations in Russia include McDonald's, Unilever, Kraft Heinz, Coca-Cola, Papa John's, and Starbucks. And Yum! Brands has also paused development in Russia. And um, it was interesting just reading. I know like a lot of people were in particular waiting for McDonald's to pause their operations there. And um, it was interesting seeing uh, McDonald's CEO, uh, Chris Kapensky, um, the way that he kind of communicated about their decision. Um, for example, they are providing immediate financial support to their team in Ukraine. They're paying full salaries, donating $5 million to their employee assistance fund, and they're continuing to support relief efforts led by the International Red Cross in the region. Um so yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, that they're still they're still continuing to pay their employees there. So yeah, yeah, um, it's um, it, it's almost like a peer thing as well, isn't it? Because you know we've seen Coca Cola and Pepsi, right? Fierce yeah. Labels, but they they both 
pulling out, you know, and it's almost like once one steps forward, I think it was the same with Visa and MasterCard, wasn't it, early in the, or... Yeah, it's like a peer pressure type situation. Yeah, that just seemed to be playing out, so... Yeah, and it's also um, interesting with uh, Uniqlo and how uh, the CEO over there is, you know, he's he's not ready to, to, you know, stop their operations there, and his reasoning is that clothing is a necessity and the people of Russia have the same right to live as we do. So we'll see if um, he ends up changing his tune with, you know, all the pressure. I'm sure they're basically everyone and there's people are calling to boycott Uniqlo now. So um, it's it's very tricky. And we've seen WPP close down operations, Accenture. We've seen Hill and Knowlton looking at its operations over there. And look, I feel for the Ukrainian people, of course, because they're mm-hmm. the, the target of this. But there's a lot of ordinary Russians, I think, who are not in favor of this war. We've seen protests in cities. And mm-hmm. as we know, the media is not free over there. And it's a very difficult place. So, yeah, it is, it's a multi-layered story. But um, I guess the wider context, Eileen, is that business can make a difference. Can you, you were talking about it in terms of diversity. But businesses and brands are being asked to make uh, statements or or do purposeful things and really step up because there's a gap, if you like, in trust uh, in institutions and governments. So I guess every PR and marketing person has to have that at, at the top of their radar these days. I think that's that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, we've we've seen a lot of shifting behaviors. And um, I don't think that this is a, a shift as much as a, a higher expectation for companies to reflect values and people to follow. The dollars follow your values. Um, and above all else, you know, we're p- purpose-driven, values-based, but we don't have um, operations and business in, in Ukraine or Russia. So I've been watching this with a, a very keen eye to see what people will do, business leaders. And I know that those are really heart-wrenching and hard decisions because, as you say, you know, there are people in Russia who are not in favor of this. And to take away all things from them, too, I mean, that's a balanced and and difficult decision that someone has to make while still Mm -hmm. caring for, um, you know, the associates who do work for you. really is. But, you know, I think you're you're both mothers. I mean, and anyone with any sort of spirit when you see some of the images from ukraine where you know families flee literally fleeing and being targeted and hospitals being attacked it's just it's just it's just not wrenching it, it really is it's horrific so you know we we feel for the people of ukraine and we support them and uh wrote a piece about it last week but like everything in business and communications and reputation there's multi multiple layers and um, i'm sure we'll be covering that a lot more in coming weeks Diana, it's International Women's Day this week, and it's part of International Women's Month. So that's another opportunity for brands to get involved and make statements and um, and communicate around a, a, a milestone like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so International Women's Day uh, fell on Tuesday this week, and the day is meant to celebrate women's achievements and increasing visibility while calling out inequality. Um, This year's theme was Break the Bias, and of course, brands um, didn't hesitate to celebrate International Women's Day as well. And um, some interesting activations that stood out were um, Twitter launched a page on its community platform dedicated to women-led NFT projects. Um, Infinity, which is the luxury vehicle division of Nissan, launched a campaign in partnership with the navigation app uh, Waze to elevate the presence of female-centered landmarks in 14 cities across North America. 
Um, another one that was um, Instacart, which is allocating $1 million to support women-owned food and beverage brands advertising on its website and app. Um, and Spotify released its With Love campaign, which centers around three podcasts, playlists that feature 24 women sharing their stories with other women. So there was a lot of really interesting um, activations that I think, uh, you know, perfectly celebrated the day. Yeah, what do you think of these months and these days, Eileen? Because, um, you know, your brand, do, you know, is, is about women all year round, isn't it? And uh, it's almost like when we talk about Pride Month, you know, it's important that or Black History Month, it's important that you don't just think about those issues at one time of the year. But it does provide a nice focal point to to communicate and raise issues around. What's your what's your take on that as a sort of I think I think you said it so well. Um, you know, I think that these moments in time to specifically celebrate um different communities is fantastic. But to your point, you know, we we want to be inclusive of all at all times. And Alta Beauty is not a place where you come to get beautiful. It's it's a place where you come and you already are beautiful. And we just have tools to have you to help you express yourself more and care for yourself more. And so our our work is really to be beauty at its most inclusive and create a world without limits. And so it's important to me as an individual, but it's also important to us as a company, more than 90% of our associates identify as women. And so I think it yesterday, or was yesterday, Tuesday, what a blurry week. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have, you know, I think yesterday was a moment where we felt we had a responsibility to, fa- to really lean into our culture and ensure that everyone continues to feel really safe to speak up and is free from gender discrimination, um, not only here, but also feels empowered to take that into society. So we, you know, we had internal events um, with some of our DEI partners hosting a lot of different um, virtual sessions and exploring the state of women and girls around the world and impl- implications that that then has for organizations um, all in service of being more gender equitable. But to your point, you know, we do a lot. We had a ton of really exciting internal moments during Black History Month. The same will be true of AAPI Month, Pride. Um, but outside of that, because it is more than just, you know, one community in one moment, we also have something called Diversity Week, where um, we really just lean into shared experiences and um, embracing all all together and celebrating the beautiful possibilities that exist amongst us all. So we take a lot of pride in that work. We have a whole team dedicated to it. And I think that that's what makes our culture so unique and and very authentic. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think we saw Disney this week get in a bit of hot water because, it, you know, it wasn't necessarily approaching one issue with the same uh, level of uh, resources as it was another and uh, you know people were calling out and your point about employee engagement is a good one because over the last couple of years especially it's been you know it's raised right to the top of the agenda hasn't it and uh, internal comms employee engagement is now so everybody realizes how important that is so yeah good point I mean, even as we, we as we get back to like return to office you yeah. know our, our employee engagement and internal comms teams have done their job and then some. They've done work in spades to ensure that the culture is never diluted. Um, and so now as we return to office, it's going to be a little bit of a difference for humans, you know, of, who have uh, accommodated to working remotely or who deeply miss coming back. It's still going to be different and new, but the fact that our culture remains foundational and it hasn't shifted, I think is huge. And that comes to life in moments like International Women's Day. 
Yeah, agree. Totally agree. And we'll chat a bit more about that with our uh, March content. But uh, yeah, um, Diana, let's talk about well, let, let's talk about the uh, normalizing the conversation around the menopause uh, op-ed because it follows on nicely from that last topic. Interesting piece that we ran this week. Yeah. Um, so Melissa Robertson, the CEO of Dark Horses, um, penned a really interesting op-ed for us this week about her journey with menopause and how it's impacted her job running an agency. Um, So she said she's been struggling to remember basic words and names and even having issues typing because her fingers have gone numb. So she said that she's been trying to normalize the conversation around menopause to remove the stigma. Um, And in her op-ed, she shares some advice for what organizations can do right now to make a difference. Um, And some of her tips include uh, start talking about menopause with your employees, write a policy, train line managers, um, check with your healthcare and employee assistance providers for additional support, and appoint a menopause champion. So definitely something to keep in mind that maybe businesses weren't even aware could be an issue. So. Yeah, I think there are certain health issues that just don't get talked about, do they? Um, they're not uh, considered as topics of conversation or whatever. And we yeah. have when Wendy Lund from Organon on, you know, a health-focused pharma spin-off uh, a few months ago, and actually Organon gave every employee uh, the day off on International Women's Day uh, because you know they are pre- predominantly um, uh, female employees. So, um, I. Yeah, I definitely definitely feel that uh, Eileen don't that there's certain topics just don't get discussed, do they? Because people feel uncomfortable about it. Or but but hey, this this applies to everybody, every woman. Or uh, it's the same on the male side with other with certain issues as well. Which and and there's becoming more awareness, isn't there, of, of and, and more willingness to speak about things like this. I, I absolutely good. agree. I think that candor and transparency have become so much more real. And it's it's a lot more about straight talk and reality. Like it, an example in the beauty category is aging. You know, there's so much about anti-aging, but aging is a privilege and something we should embrace, right? And so if you're not aging, what are you? <laughs> and and that gets into a morbid conversation quickly. But like something, there's something to be said about aging gracefully and aging with confidence. And I think that you see that in pop culture in different ways. And you see that now um, through the ranks of, of employment and so there are hard conversations that perhaps many companies haven't yet had, but the more we can start having the discussion, the more we normalize it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, look at a role model like Helen Mirren, for example. She's just so incredible, yeah. but she just changes everybody's perception of of uh, and things, and is such a great, uh, great person um, around topics like that. What a great yeah. example! She's somebody that I would just love to have a cocktail with. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be able to keep up with her, but yeah, <laughs> she's fantastic. Um, let's talk about Stagwell Group, Diana. They had their uh, the Mark Penn uh, is CEO of, of that uh, holding company, and a rapidly growing holding company. It's uh, got MDC Partners as part of it, but they put out their 2021 financial numbers, and pretty good, weren't they? Yeah, they grew 10.4% organically year-over-year in Q4 and 14.5% organically year-over-year in 2021, reaching $520 million and $1.93 billion in net revenue, respectively. Um, 
and margins grew nearly 20% year over year on net revenue in both Q4 and 2021. Um, and CEO Mark Penn told PR Week's sister publication, Campaign US, that he credits Stagwell's growth to three tailwinds, um, digital capabilities, which grew 29% to account for more than half of net revenue in 2021, the Stagwell affiliate network, which has expanded Stagwell's global presence and larger client wins. So they're doing very well. They're very well known for firms like 72 and Sunny on the advertising front, Anomaly, Code and Theory, SKDK on the sort of PR, uh, public affairs, government relations side, Observatory, the brand, Jay Goodman's brand sort of content company. So interesting collection of agencies and interesting to see how uh, Mark Penn's bringing them together with all the acquisitions and mergers and all the things that happened over the last couple of years. Um, Eileen, you know, you come from the agency world. How are you approaching working with agency partners as VP of PR now on an in-house brand? You know, how, have you uh, pretty much stuck with the status quo on that or are you, have you got your own ideas that you're going to be bringing in? Well, um, call me crazy, Steve, but I got in and I, you know, I think in anybody, anybody who takes a new job in any faction, whether you're going into an agency or in-house, you know, you, you take a, a bit of an assessment uh, of what, what's happening and how you can optimize what gaps there might be and then what solutions we can find to get bigger, better together. Um, and as such, I did RFP our business while, while in a pandemic. So, you know, no rest for the wicked. Um, I, so it was about nine months into to the role. I, I thought that we could um, benefit from talking to different agencies and consolidating our work. When I came in, um, we had two AORs in place, um, both excellent agencies, but we had siloed the, the corporate work and the consumer work. And to me, that is just not an efficient nor effective approach to telling a company's um, story. So on the corporate side, yes, we are all to beauty the corporation, but you know, that hand needs to be talking to the, the beauty PR um, to tell a holistic story and to safeguard our reputation in all the ways. And so yeah. that RFP has um, resulted in uh, us working with Zeno Group now. Um, they have about a year and a month um, as our AOR, and they're doing a, a really wonderful job um, just shoring up both of those lanes together. And we're finding synergies. Um, they're also working with our creative agency um, in an integrated fashion. And I think we're just, we, we took these two years to really smooth out some, some gaps and um, our work is proving out stronger for it. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So yeah, good for, good for Zeno. Um, let's talk about the March content, Diana. We, you chatted about the newsmaker last on last week's show, but we also put out our CEO feature and CMO feature, which we do every uh, month. And uh, these all themed around the future of work. Yes. So um, the CEO focus uh, this time around is Mark Gilbreath. So he is the CEO at Liquid Space, which is an online marketplace for renting temporary office space. Um, and he has spent more than 10 years discussing the advantages of flexibility and hybrid work choices. Um, so he told us he thinks it's time for companies to recognize the debate of whether or not hybrid work is here to stay is over. Um, and he rejects the belief that employer employees will eventually adapt to hybrid mandates and instead suggests the happiest employees will have more free agency to choose. 
So he expects workplaces to begin to look like college campuses where employees can fluidly navigate multiple environments, just like they would to study, um, like a dorm room, a coffee shop, the stacks at the library, an open lounge space. Employees will also make choices on whether to work in groups or alone based on what kind of work they need to get done. And um, just since the onset of the pandemic, Liquid Space has introduced new offerings to account for individual choice. Um, For instance, in February 2021, they introduced Liquid Space Enterprise, which is a capability that allows real estate and HR leaders to make spaces available to employees directly, allowing them to choose where they want to work. So it's a really interesting company. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the feature goes more into detail on what. Yeah, it is just an interesting story. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure I'd want my workplace to look like my old college dorm, but hey, that's probably a story <laughs> for another day over a drink. But there you go. <laughs> and, um, the other feature that we did um, was uh, Unispace's C- CMO, Marjorie McCarthy. Um, I talked to her. Um, and so just a little bit about Unispace. Um, it's a workplace design company, which provides clients who want to de- develop an office space with a joined up approach to strategy, design and delivery. Um So Marjorie is the CMO there. She said she doesn't agree with people who say the office is dead. She said that the role of it has changed, but it's more important than ever. Um, And interestingly, uh, Unispace is positioned to have had its most successful year since its founding in 2010. So it looks like a lot of people are definitely, uh, you know, their their services are in demand right now. And she said that uh, in Q4 2021, uh, Unispace conducted a study in EMEA um, that found 69% of 18 to 34-year-olds actually would like to return to the office uh, full-time, the highest of any age group. Um, Unispace is actually conducting a U.S. and global version of the study later this year, but that's just still interesting to note. Um, and in terms of their clients, uh, they've seen a total change in expectations from them since COVID hit. Employees no longer care about a dedicated desk or office spaces with gyms, big cafes, locker rooms, and showers. Uh, specific amenities and benefits are becoming more important, Unispace has found, as is flexibility and the ability to work remotely. So companies need guidance on how to navigate that from a physical space standpoint. Um, So she also shared how Unispace has helped clients such as Boston Scientific and Archetype to adjust their workplaces as they align with new expectations. Um, Another major trend across different industries is the integration of DE&I into the physical environment. Um, And she also shared how Unispace is refreshing its own brand this year. So uh, definitely check out the feature on PRWeek.com. Yeah, three brilliant features there. Unispace, Liquid Space and Glassdoor, which you chatted about last uh, week, and all around the theme of the future of work, right, which is on top of everyone's uh, list of thoughts, I think. So well worth checking out. And um, I think they're, they're all leaning into let's stop sort of going on about returning to normality and what have you. Let's make the new normality and let's make something that works now, having mm-hmm. experienced the last couple of years. So all good stuff and well worth checking out. I'm so 
looking forward to reading those, Diana. Yeah. It just reinforces the spectrum of, you know, where people's minds are and, and, you know, how they're approaching this. And I think above all else, again, like the culture is going to be the most important part. It's not about mandates. It's about, you know, purposeful flexibility and, yeah. you know, fostering creativity in a human first way. And I, I really love the, the comparison to a college campus. I think that's really interesting. Um, but what can foster creativity? What is human-led and reflective of the, the individual and the collective need, um, but all rooted in a company's culture? Yeah. yeah. Bringing people along with you, for sure. So, yeah, great, good stuff. Um, all right, look, we're out of time, I'm afraid. So uh, let's just to say that we've, we're going to donate uh, the food cart uh, in Newark to a school with Gen Youth. That's part of our Purpose Awards and Purpose Principles and giving back um, initiatives. Really pleased to be doing that. We'll be ringing the closing bell at NASDAQ next Tuesday. So looking forward to that. Please watch us on TV as we have our big moment. And please, I hope to see as many of you as possible at the PR Week Awards at Cipriani Wall Street in New York City on Wednesday evening. First time in person for three years. Really looking forward to that. If you're in South by Southwest as well, we're down there. We've got a couple of cool events. So let us know if you want to attend those. And uh, keep looking out for our Healthcare and Pharma Comms Awards. That's going to be uh, a big day on the first, the inaugural awards on the 10th of May. Global Awards in London on the 18th of May. Brand Film Awards in virtually on the 26th of May. And then our agency business report is, is live on the 3rd of May, but we're collecting information and uh, agency ranking submissions. We've got so much going on, but that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much, Eileen. Thank Thank you. you. Real pleasure to chat with you both. That was terrific. Thank you, Diana. Good to be with you again. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.